Welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. I'm Scott Miller, and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today, our guest is actually an inside-the-house expert from Franklin Covey, Randy Illig, who is the leader of our sales performance practice. He is a co-author of a best-selling book on the same topic and a weekly columnist for Forbes.com. Randy, welcome to Franklin Covey's Thank On Leadership. Thank you, Scott. Great to Glad have you here in person. My pleasure. In from New York, New York today. I am. Yeah. So today our conversation is going to, be, going to be about your 35 years of expertise, hard-fought, well-deserved knowledge around the whole sales industry. Mm -hmm. Now, your career is kind of in two parts. The first half was as a traditional salesperson, yeah. someone who you know, was helping organizations, you quote, carried a bag, had a number, had to meet a nut. Yeah. In the last 15 years, you've been focused on really coaching and advising not just sales performers, but sales leaders, mm -hmm. how to make it easier, yeah. how to make it you know, a little more influential, and I think we'll kind of bounce back and forth between both topics today. That'd be great. So I'd like to start most of these interviews with a bit of your journey. Will you take yeah. a minute, check your ego, and walk through kind of how did you get to where you are today as a columnist for Forbes, that's not too shabby, <laughs> as a best-selling co-author of a book, and as a leader of our sales practice? Well, I think the story starts simply. I wanted a BB gun. Okay. I was looking in the back of a magazine. I was 10 years old. It said, sell seeds and win this BB gun. Okay. It's like, I'll sell some seeds. So I went door to door selling flour and vegetable seeds. And I actually wrote about this story in the book because I learned so much as a 10-year-old yeah. out there servicing my customers. And it left a big impression on me because over time, I did this for three or four years, what happened was I learned about what people liked that some people liked blue flowers, and some people bought these kinds of vegetables, and some people bought these kinds of varieties. So you were selling and, seeds like to your neighbors? Yeah, door -door. in the neighborhood, yes. door to door. Yeah. And so I would go peddling my seeds. Really, I did have a wagon. I pulled them along with me. Yeah. I'd have an assortment that I thought the person would like. And the, the, uh, the way I was welcomed you know, made me feel so good because I, I realized I was doing something good for people. Now, it wasn't until later in my career that I learned that some people thought sales was bad. I started out with, this is the greatest thing you could do in the world, helping other people. So that's kind of how I got started. And then, amazing how that shaped your paradigm. Early uh, on, it, it, totally you never, did. it never crossed your mind sales was a negative thing. It was a Not positive thing. Not at all. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I followed a kind of a predictable path. I went to school and I went to college and then I had to choose a first job. And uh, what did I choose? Engineering. I was actually a support person working with our sales teams uh, on uh, engineering problems. Well, that lasted about six months. And my <laughs> boss said to me, you know, wouldn't you rather just do the sales thing? You seem to be much more comfortable there. And so I moved and, and the rest is really history. Whether I was... Uh, my title was a sales rep or my title was a CEO because I've done everything in between. Right. I have always seen myself really as uh, a creator of value. And to me, that's what sales is all about. So that's the, kind of the quick story. How was the BB gun? The BB gun was fantastic. It was amazing. I don't have it anymore. I you wish I did. Out, you stayed out of trouble. Yeah. No issues yeah. there. I didn't shoot anything with yeah. it that was bad. Tell us about the lessons you've learned. I mean, Randy, yeah. you are a nationally renowned expert on coaching organizations on how to improve their sales performance. Yeah. Your Forbes column every week is, I think, remarkable. Each week you have a great Thank insight you. that uh, CEOs and VPs of sales you know, uh, email you and call you about. Answer this question in two parts. Talk yeah. a little about what are the lessons you learned early in your career around being a salesperson 
And then after that, talk about what are the lessons you've learned around being a sales leader that you coach people on? You know, why don't we choose at least one in each, in each space? Great. And as a salesperson, I want to build on what I learned when I was 10, right? Which is this idea that uh, intent counts more than technique. And that's how Mahan actually labeled it years later. Where we come from, what we're thinking about, whose needs we're serving are far more important than how we do our job. And uh, it's interesting, we can have good intent, that intent being to help uh, other people, clients get what they want in a way they feel good about and they want to do again with me. Uh, but things get in the way. And with me, one of the things that got in my way was enthusiasm to please customers. I can relate. And I found myself with all this good intent over-promising. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it culminated when I sold a friend uh, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of computers. And I was so excited about what I was doing in this sale, in this company, that I had set his expectations really, really high. Well, he called me when the computers were delivered and he said, Randy, I am so disappointed. Why are you disappointed? He said, well, everything you told me, it didn't all happen. I was like, well, do they work? Oh, yeah. Is everything you know, good? Yeah, it's better than we've ever had, but it's short of what you said. And that forever corrected me because I realized at that moment that I could have good intent. I could be focused on my clients and helping them achieve what they want to achieve. And there's interference that gets around that. Some of it's positive, like I just described. It was a positive interference. My enthusiasm, my willingness to want to do more for them. But I think that lesson of making sure you're centered around whose needs are you serving uh, is the single most important thing a professional seller uh, can, can really focus on and, and make sure they own. So that's what I would, I would say is a big lesson for, for sellers. Um, on the leadership side, that's an interesting one because I think the lesson I've learned as a leader and observing leaders is that you need to be monkey number one. And what I mean by that is if you, uh, if you have an expectation that you want uh, for how your people should interact with customers or behave or think, you have to be the model for that. You have to be the model right. citizen. Right. Because I've learned over time that it, it kind of dilutes as it goes through the organization. So, uh, so I see so many leaders who miss that. Uh, and they say things like this. They say things like, uh, well, I'm not interacting with customers like my people are. This is for my people. They need to know how to do these things. They need to have these kinds of behaviors. And I, I just don't believe that. I, Sales I, leader is the model of all the behaviors she or he needs to see in their team. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. They have to be able to know the, the pitch, the value, yeah. the products, the benefits, the outcome, know the marketplace, everything. And sometimes in bigger companies, uh, you'll have people who lead sales who've actually never been in sales. They are business unit leaders, right. and the sales team happens to report up to them. And so this, this is a particularly challenging topic for them because many of them don't have the courage to, to admit and face, mm. that's not something I know, mm. and I'm willing to learn it. Now, here's the good news. The good news, and this is another thing that I've learned for, that affect both of these categories, individuals and leaders, all this is learnable. It's easily learnable. It's, these skills can, can come about, beliefs can come about pretty rapidly. And inside of you know, a, a year 
or maybe a little more, you can really see your capabilities ramp up. With you know, I focus. think a point that reinforces your story is Franklin Covey's enterprise president is Paul Walker. And so he runs the enterprise side of our business. Sean Covey is the president of our education division, their yeah. peers. And I think what has made Paul so effective at being the president of our enterprise division was he did come up through the ranks. He did. He spent the first, you know, 18 of his 20 years selling. So yes. he has enormous credibility with the sales force because he's had the same struggles, the same fears, had to stretch his skills. And I think he has um, disproportionate influence because of his appreciation for what of their course. life is like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Address some of the challenges that classic well-intended salespeople find themselves falling into. Uh, I think there's probably a few of them that, that salespeople fall into. The first one probably is focusing on your number. Okay. <laughs> right? Uh, the, the real question is, what's your customer's number? And I, I don't say that jokingly. I, I often will ask salespeople, do you know what your number is, what your target is? And they, well, of course I know what yeah, my right, target right. is. It's X. Right. So, do you know what your customer's target is? And the answer is almost always the same. They look at me oddly and say, what do you mean? Why would I know that? Yeah, exactly. And the point there is that if you don't know what is important to your client, what they're trying to accomplish, what their number is, because they have one, then you've got your focus in the, in the wrong area. Right. So I think the first place that salespeople fall down is by focusing on their number and not their customer's results. I mean, that's a big mindset shift. It is. Because as you were saying it, I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. And it's not how I managed my number because I would take my, when I was a salesperson for 15 years, I had my number divided into yeah. annuals and quarters <laughs> sure. and weeks and days. Yeah. And I knew what behaviors. I was fixated on my number. Yeah. Very, very common. I think the, the next thing that I think salespeople miss is the idea of cultivation. And what I mean by cultivation is that if you look at, many customer relationships and you trace them back to where they came from, they came back, they came from a familiar place where there was some connection, some referral, and I think salespeople miss the opportunity mm. to really build strong referral bases with their customers, whether they sell cell phones and they, and they interact one time or they sell commercial service and they interact for years. Uh, so the second thing that I would encourage professional sellers to do is cultivate your referral network. It makes a huge difference when people call you. It's very lonely when you have to reach out to call everybody else. What is it people are missing in sales? Why is it um, abandoned? Why are people are not doing it as much? I, I think it's often um, underinvested in, because here's what happens. We do business together. You like me, I like you. I say, hey, Scott, uh, would you be willing to give me a referral? And what do you say? Sure. Sure, because of of your politeness. Right, right? you're, you're right here asking polite. me, right. Of course you're right. gonna say yes. Right. Um, and, and then what happens? Nothing. Right, because you don't hold me accountable and I'm not gonna do it unless you do. And I make it hard for you to do it. Hmm. So what would happen if I actually made it easy for you to do it and I made it okay for you to say no uh, and I held you accountable or us accountable to that? Right. That's a different conversation. That conversation might sound like this. And remember, we have all these cool tools available today right. to say, hey, Scott, I was looking in LinkedIn right. and I noticed that there's three people right. that I think I might be able to be helpful to right. uh, that you know. And I'd like an introduction only if you felt comfortable with it. Here's what I would do 
if you made that introduction. So I'm going to make it safe for you. Right. So you know I'm not going to pester them. Right. right? right. I'm going to serve them well. I'm going to serve their interests. Uh, and Scott, if you'd like to do that, I'm happy to provide you with an email or happy to send them an email and copy you, whatever you'd like, so it's easy for you to make this introduction. And again, no is totally okay. Is that something you'd be comfortable doing? That's great. Well, I think most people wish they had your dialogue. Because well, that they, felt very comfortable. <laughs> you teach that in our solutions, We, we though, right? do I mean, teach that. When clients sure, yeah. hire Franklin Covey, Absolutely. part of that multi-day work session or one day is working through this dialogue, right? And right. understanding intent and technique. And, and, and when you feel that, notice whose needs I'm serving. I'm serving both our needs. I'm right. realizing that right. if you're going to extend your trust to me, to someone else, I've got to make that safe and easy and okay and okay to say no if you don't want to do it. Randy, you're credible. <laughs> it's true. Share another thought around what salespeople struggle with, and we'll move to sales leaders. I think the uh, other thing that salespeople struggle with, and I, I wrote about this in, in Forbes, is their perceptions around experience. Uh, so a salesperson starts their new job, and they you know, look around and they say, oh, so-and-so has 20 years experience. They're on the top of the heap, and I, it's going to take me all this time and energy. And, and, uh, and people with 20 years experience rest on that too. You know, I've got all this experience. Right. Here's what I found. I found that most people actually don't have 20 years experience. They have one years of experience 20 times. So, they, so that's profound. Say that again, because that article you wrote was excellent about this. So the idea is that people gain the bulk of their, the benefit of their experience in a very short period of time in life. So notice it, sorry to use a sports analogy, notice it in golf. You know, you get your handicap to 12 and that's it. It, it, does, yeah, it goes to 11, back to 13, it, and you do that very rapidly, and then you flat line from there on out. So here's how that affects salespeople. The people that are beginning think the journey is longer than it is. The journey can be very short. If you are focused on developing your skills and capabilities, inside of a year, 18 months, you can be performing like somebody that has in, been, been in the job 20 years. Let's not say they have 20 years of experience, been in the job 20 because years. Because they stopped at 18 months. Because they stopped, right. and then they, they coasted. Now, how this affects the 20-year veteran is obvious. They've been coasting for years, maybe even more than a decade, right? So now I would challenge those people to say with a little bit, a tiny bit of work, you can go, let's use the golf metaphor, you can go from 12 to six, if that's what you really want to do. So I would say that's kind of the third thing that uh, in, this, that's great. in this conversation yeah. I'd point yeah. out. Let's move to sales leaders, things yeah. you've learned there. Before we go there, why do you think sales has a bad rap, if it does. What's your point of view on how sales is viewed by many people in yeah. or outside the industry, and what's shaped that? Well, I think it's very simple. Sales has a bad rap because there's a lot of bad salespeople. Okay. And it's probably no bad different. Bad meaning they're self-serving, they're not skilled. I would say yes, yes, the bulk yes. of it is self-serving. Yeah. Right? They all, know their number, not their client's number. We all know that feeling right, when you're talking to someone and they're trying to do something to you, yes. right? We get that feeling that happens a lot. Uh, and so I think sales just gets a bad rap because we've all had that feeling and, and we don't want to be part of that. It, it's, it's no more complex than that. But here's the interesting flip side of that. I've also found that when sales is done well, 
that you get rewarded quickly for it as well. Because think about it from a buyer's perspective. If the sea is full of uh, you know, ill-willed salespeople or salespeople who are focused on doing something to them, with your focus and good skills, you stand out and customers will gravitate to you and they'll refer you to others. So, uh, so that's how I think I'd, I'd respond to that. Uh, transition to the sales leader. Yeah. What are some of the lessons you've learned there and what that people do as sales leaders do well and, and struggle at? Uh, if I chose one thing, here's what I would say that I think sales leaders struggle with. Um, they struggle with the idea that if it's to be, it's up to me. Here's what I mean by that. They've got a team. Now let's just take it down to the frontline sales leader, okay? Because this would relate to any level of sales leader. They've got a team. There's 10 people on that team plus them. Uh, and that team's got to make their number and they need coaching and they need guidance and they need all these things. Whose job's that? The sales leaders. Mm -hmm. I think that's wrong. I think that is a flawed way of thinking about that. I think the sales leader's job is to create an environment where high performance can take place. Um, it's the team's job to coach, to teach, to get better. Now, how does that happen? Exactly. So the, the leader's flaw is that if, it's up, if it is to be, it's up to me. I have to do all this stuff. It's all on my shoulders. I have to carry all this out. You don't. You just have to set up the conditions for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, let's take a simple condition you could set up. You could say, we're going to sp spend time once a week for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. That's it. We're just going to share what sales best practices we learned in the last week. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to talk about numbers, deals, anything else except that one thing. And the purpose of that discussion is for each of us to learn over time. Here's the best part. There's three roles for the meeting. Somebody will lead the meeting. That means they'll take, you know, keep track of start and end flow. Someone will teach something. So they'll say, well, here's what I learned, and they'll teach. And then another person will play a coach role, and they'll respond to that and provide feedback and invite others to do the same. Now, that role, those roles of three, will be decided upon in each meeting. They'll always be different. So we'll all have a chance to do those things. Sure. That one thing that one uh, business process, if you will, begins to create a culture of accountability, of, of teamwork, of improvement. Uh, and the sales professional profession, by the way, uh, misses the whole idea of improvement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I went to that. I think a leader's job is to create the conditions mm -hmm. for improvement, and that's one of the biggest Amongst and throughout the team. Absolutely, and you would take that up through the, through the uh, levels of the company. Yeah. Randy, think for a moment about all the clients you've worked with now. You have now really dedicated your career to sharing all the lessons you've learned, all the mistakes you've made in your insights with other clients. Within the sales performance practice at Franklin Covey, you have a variety of solutions, some that are very perhaps strategic and a little more tactical even. You have a couple of offerings around building your pipeline, mm -hmm. qualifying opportunities, closing the sale. When you're working with clients, say it's an EVP of sales or someone who's leading a sales yeah. team, what is she or he usually focused on in terms of wanting to improve or increase on their sales team? Are there some common problems that everybody's wrestling with? I think there are. I would choose two to, to focus on. Um, one of them would be 
uh, and this will relate to you as, as a, you know, a sales professional as well. I need more stuff, right? So I need more opportunities. I need okay. more in my pipe. I need however I get that, whether it's inbound leads or activities mm -hmm. I'm right, doing. Right. That is always a theme. Now, it's obvious why that's a theme. I mean, sales organizations are faced with you know, this challenge every year, you got to grow more than you were. We got to be bigger this year than we were last year. So there's always that growth target. So, so you need multiple of your pipelines to be bigger yeah, than it's your goal. Always, all it's always there. So that's a, that's a problem everyone expresses. The second thing I think is very, very common is new salesperson productivity. Uh, by the way, uh, I think Franklin Covey, if we can toot our own horn, we've, we've nailed that and we serve as a fantastic example. In terms of onboarding, of onboarding training, and getting people up ramped up. Salespeople. The last time I talked with Paul, our success rate was north of 70%. Wow. That's unheard of. Yeah. If, if success defined as they've retained, they people that hit their ramp and stay with the company, right? right? So uh, if, if, if you think about it, if you're a leader, and in this case a sales leader, and you could bring new people in and have them predictably, 70% of the time, be successful, and you had a means, whatever that means is, to keep your new business pipeline healthy and full, life would be good, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? Randy, you shared with me once a great story about a referral you got from a, a mutual colleague, how they wanted your help on something, and kind of how you, um, how you didn't help them or help them by not helping them. Will you share that story? I think yeah, it's a great this actually insight. happened just the other day. Uh, I received a call from a board member uh, who was referred to us. Uh, he was uh, uh, part of a private equity firm and was, and was on the board of this company. They just made an investment. And uh, he thought we might be able to help, so I spent about an hour with him understanding uh, what was going on in their business, asking him a lot of questions. He was so nice and helpful with really giving me everything I needed to, to be able to, to decide whether you know, it would be, we could be helpful or not. So at the end of the conversation, I said, well, you've been so helpful with all the information you've given me. Uh, can I just respond? And he said, well, of course. And I said, well, the first thing that I wanted to share with you is that based on what you've described, uh, what you need is not what we do well. It's not that we couldn't do it. It's just not in our, in our power alley, right? So, uh, and I started to say something else. Stop right there. There's nothing more valuable you could have done in this meeting than what you just did. And uh, I said, well, well, thank you. I mean, it's, it's my job to try and create value. Uh, and then I gave him a couple of referrals uh, to people that I thought could help him. And we just pleasantly wrapped up the call. And as I mentioned, he was uh, with a private equity firm, so of course, you know, I'm a sales guy. <laughs> Go on, check their, out their website, and I happened to see that they had about 40 companies in their active portfolio, and about six of them are companies we really could help, right in our power alley. And so uh, I sent him back an email, and of course, you know the rest of the story, which we're now beginning to set up meetings with those six companies, uh, just simply because I told him we couldn't help him. <laughs> mm, right. Your credibility went through the roof yeah. when you followed back up with them. Randy, if you, were, uh, if you were just hired as a new director of sales, pick your company, pick your industry, pick the size of the number of sales force, and you were entering that role trying to transform your sales team, assuming you know, all the problems are equal, what are some behaviors, perhaps some mindset shifts that you would encourage a new sales leader to be thinking about adopting? 
kind of ubiquitously across you know, any organization, any industry? Well, the first one, not to oversimplify things, would be to listen. Sales leaders are often type A personalities. Mm -hmm. They're drivers. Mm -hmm. So they were hired to fix the problem. That's how they see it. They hit the deck, you know, bang, 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 uh, ready to roll. And what I would say is slow down. Listen to customers, listen to prospects, listen to your people, listen to your colleagues, then decide. So the first thing I would say is slow down and listen. Um, I think the second thing, and you were asking about um, mindsets, uh, I have a very strong belief for good reasons that companies who are organized around customers are, are more valuable and successful than, that, than co companies that are organized around what they do. Okay, says easy, does hard. You hear that yes. a lot. Explain to me what it looks like to organize around a customer. So what it looks like to organize around a customer is um, when your structure follows a customer orientation versus, say, a product orientation. So that might be the difference between being uh, having a vertical approach where you have expertise in a mm -hmm. certain industry right. instead of having a product approach that right. you're applying to multiple industries. Right. So it could express itself that way. Um, it would also express itself in the way your comp plans are structured, in the, in the way you spend your time, um, in the way that uh, you uh, establish your values as so a company. It is, it is systems, strategy, it's, structures, comp, it's all of that. It's all, it's all of that system, right, right, right. is aligned toward, uh, toward the customer. And, and you know, I'm glad you slowed me down there and said, you know, easy to say, hard to do because it, it, it is, right? And I doubt you'd find many customers, many companies who would say, well, we are, we're not. Um, everyone would say that. Yeah, everyone would say, right. we're, right. of course we're customer focused. Right. But when you look closely at them, they're actually no. not. Right. I don't think most people know what that means to actually really address all of those things to become more customer focused. The, by the way, the last thing that I would add around what a new sales leader should do um, is uh, to make sure that they create and facilitate a winnable game. There are many sales organizations that are strapped with unachievable goals. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you how many meetings I've sat in where I've seen a management team say, you know, how over-assigned is our quota? Make sure we've assigned 150% right. of our quota. Right. And, and I think that mindset is disrespectful to the team. Well, I think it also crushes people's spirit. It of turns course. A, it turns a competent person into yeah. like a shell of themselves. I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. So uh, people want to win, right? right. Put both, them at all levels. Put, yeah. Put them in a winnable game. Yeah. And uh, and so you know, those are probably the three things I would say. Mm. You know, listen. Listen before you diagnose. Um, make sure that you've got people in a winnable game and make sure that your culture is about, about customers and helping them win. Randy, final couple of minutes here. Yeah. Draw back on your career as a salesperson and as a sales leader that you've written a book about. You have another book that's in the pipeline. We'll talk more about that on another interview someday. What are the big lessons you've learned? Maybe the big mistakes you made. Like scroll back 
20 years, sir, or 30 years. Yeah. What are some of the key mistakes you made that you realized that was an aha experience for you and you changed your way and now you're passionate about coaching people around that? That might add a little bit of insight to the less seasoned out there than you to say, watch out for this. This is an easy trap to fall into, either as a salesperson or a sales leader, either one or one of each. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about uh, some of them. If I, if I pulled the, the leadership one out, because I think that's, that's where the juice is. So I think that's where I would okay. focus my answer. Um, I, think, I think in terms of sales leaders, sales leaders often end up in their job because they were good sales people. Right. And so the culture gets created around uh, what sales people do, not what leaders do. And you were promoted uh, to a sales leader because you were a great salesperson. You were a great salesperson. Yeah. And oh, you mean? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The same thing happened to me. Yeah. And so I think uh, the lesson that that I learned in that transition um, is you you can't do the job of the seller, right? And I think when when sales leaders take on that sales leadership role, they they often take it on as a doer. And um, this is how I did it. Here's how you should do it. it yes. Works for and me, it work and for you. by the way, when we go to meetings, I'm going to step in and do it for you. Yeah. Right. So I think that was a big aha for me because I did that. I, I did all those things. You know, I said to salespeople when I was first becoming a sales leader, you can't go on any meetings without me. You know, like I had to be in control of the thing. And then I realized that that sales leadership, take away the word sales, is just a leadership job. Now, my discipline happens to be sales. That's the team that I'm leading, so I want to be an expert at that. But I also want to combine my sales expertise with leadership expertise. And so, to me, uh, it's the combination of those things that actually make for a great sales organization. And it's where, where you, if you did a survey, or I've done surveys, and you ask sales managers, sales vice presidents, et cetera, how, how much leadership development they've done, it's very, very little. Mm often very little. Right. Great book, Let's Get Real, Let's Not Play. I love that title. Tell us a bit about what the book is about and why you and Mahan wrote it. Well, this is the second edition. Mm -hmm. Mahan wrote the first mm -hmm. while I was a client of his. I <laughs> and I later worked with Mahan and he invited me to work on the second edition with him, uh, which was a complete gift. And what this book is really about is it's about reframing the relationships that buyers have with sellers. Because the relationship is dysfunctional. I mean, buyers do dysfunctional things because sellers have kind of taught them to do dysfunctional things. Uh, you know, you ask a buyer about their budget, uh, what do they do, tell you it's none of your business. Uh, well, how are you supposed to help them if you don't know what their financial resources are, right? If you step away from it, and you think, well, wouldn't it be in your best interest? customer to tell a right. seller what your budget is. Mm -hmm. And most of us would say, no, if you tell them that, they'll use up the whole thing uh, because we've been exposed to a lot of bad, bad sellers. So what this book is really about is demystifying and mm -hmm. taking the myth out of that that relationship has to be a bad one. No, it right. can actually be a very healthy one mm -hmm. uh, where buyers get what they want and sellers get what they want and you really have the definition of win-win. Of so that's really what the book's about. Randy, last, last thought. How do you spend most of your time now? As our, as our practice leader, what are the things you're doing with clients and with the industry to help you know, kind of build a better relationship between buyer and seller? 
How do you spend your time? Well, I spend, I, I probably split my time evenly between two activities, um, learning <laughs> and sharing. Uh, learning, I try to do every day. I'm asking questions of customers, of our people, of, of other people in the industry. Um, and sharing is working with clients uh, and, and, and my colleagues, sharing what I've, I've learned, what I'm, what I'm uh, discovering as you know, I continue to evolve in my career. But that's how I try to split my time. And how does that manifest? That manifests in, um, in, in doing consulting work for clients and writing for things like Forbes and working on a new book. But that's how I try to do it. What's it like to be a columnist at Forbes? That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, my mom thinks it's really cool. I think cool. it's cool. I think it's very cool. I read your articles every week because they're so uh, practical. You kind of remind me of the Seth Godin of sales. You know, Seth Godin, yeah. I'm a big fan of. The joke about Seth is, was he in the conference room? Was he in our meeting yesterday? Because he's so yeah. wise. And your articles, I think, are like the same. Like you have a, st a stethoscope listening into sales meetings because your weekly columns are like, we talked about that last week, or we're facing that right now. It actually, joking aside, is is a, a great honor. Yeah. Uh, I remember when the first article went up, I was sitting on the couch and I called my wife over. Yeah. We've been married forever, you know. Yeah. So I said, "Can you believe this is me?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, like remember me. I know. It's very cool. Yeah. I encourage everybody to follow you on Forbes. Glad you came on set Thank today. You so we'll much. have you back because you have a whole bevy of thirty-five years of experience. And I'm sure this will get great results on our viewers as well. So we'll have you back in a couple of months. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for joining us with Randy Illig, Franklin Covey's sales performance practice leader. Be sure to follow his column on Forbes.com. is a weekly column there as well. And I will have him back. We'll talk about his next book coming out in a couple of years. We'll talk about that in the next interview. If you're not subscribing to On Leadership, visit FranklinCovey.com. Click on the On Leadership button, subscribe to it. It's a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday, complimentary, now the fastest-growing newsletter digitally worldwide dedicated to the topic of leadership. And you're welcome to receive that every Tuesday in your inbox. comes out about 6 o'clock Mountain Time in the morning without fail. Every week it includes about three or four things. A, a video interview with someone like Randy and I that's also available in a podcast format as well as a downloadable tool from Franklin Covey on the topic. And most weeks, I write a blog about any particular insight I learned from the interview. So visit franklincovey.com, have all of your colleagues subscribe to On Leadership, and we'll see you back here next week with a new guest. Thanks for joining. <music>